Well, we're engaging in another study in the book of Proverbs today, as you can see from the outline. If you have it, if you don't have an outline, it's the same outline uh, that I used last time, but that was quite a few weeks ago, uh, if you might have it in your back of your Bible. But if, you're not, if not and you don't have one, just put up your hand and one of the men will hand one to you. And you can see that our topic today is the adulteress. As I mentioned, I began on this topic, I think it was, um, I think it was around six weeks ago. It was back, I think, on May 21 when I looked it up. So it's been a while. So I will begin with uh, at least a brief review of what we've seen. I think we went up through point C, number three. So let me uh, start out with that. But let me um, ask a couple of questions. There are questions that I will answer. Um, that I started with last time. The topic is the adulteress. I took that topic just because uh, we're studying the Proverbs and it's the way it's presented in the Proverbs. So if anybody asks, well, what about single people? Well, um, that's what the outline says. And like I say, that's what the book of Proverbs focuses on. It uses other language as well. But um, just remember the seventh commandment says you shall not commit adultery. But when it says that, it's forbidding a wide array of sexual sins, and it's stating what it states against every kind of sexual immorality. So everything that we hear here today applies to single and married alike. It applies to young and old alike. It applies to male and female alike. And someone might ask, well, what about Christians? Christians don't commit this kind of sin, do they? Genuine Christians? Uh, I read this text last time when we began, Revelation 2 and verse 20, spoken by the Lord Jesus to one of the seven churches in Asia. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants. To commit sexual immorality. In other words, Christians. And remember how Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth in chapter 6 of that epistle. And you think he had to give warnings like this. Don't continue going to the temple and the temple prostitutes to a Christian church planted by an apostle? Of course, the answer is easy. Yes, he did. And remember one of the things I stated, I said, if Christians do not engage in this kind of sin, one great reason is that they hear admonitions like those we're going to hear this morning, and they take them to heart. And they don't say, like the Apostle Peter, we don't need warnings like that. So may God help us to receive these things in that spirit. So for our review, beginning at point A, we started out with the dangers of the seductress. A seductress is a woman who tempts to sin or entices someone to sin. And let's notice the three things there. She is evil and deadly, the Proverbs tell us. Proverbs 6, verse 32 says, Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding he who does so destroys his own soul. She's deadly. 
It's not saying there's no forgiveness. David is an example of that, that there is forgiveness even for such heinous sins. What it is saying to us is that this is a very dangerous sin. Second, her appeal is misleading or deceptive. Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. It says that these things are written and the son should listen to his father so that you may preserve discretion and that your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. The appeal is very deceptive. It's misleading. It sounds like just the way to happiness and pleasure. And it is, at least momentarily but not in the long run. And then third, we saw the painful consequences of immorality. We saw that they are certain, verses 27 to 29 of Proverbs 6. We read there, Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. If you think that you can go ahead and get away with that sin, no serious consequences, um, start out by setting a fire in your backyard, holding your hand in it for a while, and um, if you suffer no harm, no pain, then maybe you have a chance. I remember hearing of a quite famous athlete years ago saying um, when he used to contemplate or felt temptations to this sin, I don't know how accurate or true it was, he used to light a match and hold it under his finger to remind himself of the dangers. Point B, we saw the wages of the seductress or the fruits or consequences of immorality. Number one, one of the fruits, consequences is Physical and temporal, poverty and poor health. Proverbs 6, 26. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. It's one of those sins, kind of like alcoholism, uh, drunkenness. It reduces someone to a crust of bread. In other words, that's what you have left If you live so unwisely like the prodigal son did, you'll be poor in the end. That's one of the wages. Another, I just put it uh, categorized under the heading death and dishonor. Death and dishonor, verses 32 and 33 of chapter 6. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Death, in the worst way it's talking about, spiritual death. And then dishonor, uh, verse 33, wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. So there are the wages of the seductress. Third, let's notice defense against the seductress, and that's really all the rest of of what we have. And that's all that, I, all that I have this morning comes under that category. But the first three we already covered, so let's quickly notice those things. First defense, 
is avoid her. You know that there's um, a seductress, there's an immoral woman, and you know there's danger. Don't go there, literally. And that's what Solomon says to his son, warning about this immoral woman. If you look back at verse 3, talking about the immoral woman, then he says in verse 8, Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Well, I'd have to go a different way and it takes me five minutes longer. It's inconvenient. It's worth the inconvenience. Second, listen to and obey your parents and your teachers. So listen to uh, preachers so you don't have to be um, still a young person and in your parents' home. But if you're a young person in your parents' home, especially... Listen to and obey your parents, if they're Christian parents, uh, who are giving you good advice and biblical advice and admonitions in this regard. Um, what's my text? Proverbs 6, 20 and 24, I'll read, trying to stay in a close area so we don't have to spend a lot of time turning pages. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. And then it goes on, but drop down to verse 23, uh, verse 24, where he gives the, the main goal he has in mind at the moment in telling his son to do that, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. So listen to and obey your parents. Third, get biblical convictions regarding marriage. Especially I'm thinking of monogamy. Your goal in life should be, if you're going to get married, to have sexual relations with one person in this life. That should be your goal. Now, there might be a divorce that comes and a remarriage or widowhood and a remarriage. I understand that. You understand what I'm saying. The goal should be monogamy. You're married to one person and one person only, and you only ever have sexual relations with that person. And this needs to be emphasized in our day and age. Sadly, it was kind of an assumption when I grew up. I grew up a long time ago, but I grew up in the United States of America, and it was not over 100 years ago, and it used to be very different but it's not very different anymore. It's the way the world is in all around us. And you know, and we, I won't go down all those roads about the changes even in the last decade or more, but this is the biblical teaching. Monogamy and ardent love. The people in this world think of um, monogamy, being married to one person and only keeping your sex life in that small realm, they think of it as the uh, killer of romance. The Bible doesn't look at it that way. Look at Proverbs five fifteen to 19. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. 
let her breasts satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. So that's how far we got last time through number three there, get biblical conviction. So today let's cover four through seven under point C. And number four is fear God. Fear God. Now, the, the language fear God can just refer to um, believing in God. So if someone in the Bible is called a God-fearer, what does it mean? It means he's a believer in God. So it's a, it's a, um, a synonym or a synonymous phrase to believer or Christian or saint to fear God. And fearing God could be synonymous with faith or believing. But let's, let's look back at um, Proverbs 1, verse 7. When, we, when the language fear God is used, especially in the book of Proverbs and other places, uh, it's not just meaning to be a believer. It does mean that, but it focuses, I think, on the aspect of faith by which you know and remain aware of several things. Number one, if you fear God, you know that there is a God in heaven. Two, you know that he is always watching you. Third, you know that there is a heaven and a hell, and they are real places that are to be gained or um, sentenced to after this world is over. Fourth, you know that there is a judgment day coming when that sentencing will occur and fifth, if you fear God, you know that you as an individual, not just other people, not just people like Hitler or Idi Amin or Saddam Hussein, bin Laden, etc., etc., are going to be judged at the bar of God, but you and I will be judged there. That's what I think it's saying when it says fear, when, I, when the text here says Fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we could say on this point and regarding this sin of immorality that fearing God should be your first and your last line of defense. In other words, it really is something that should be a pervasive thing in your life as a believer. And if you're not a believer in Christ, you should fear God. You will fear in a different way. You will have a, should have a fear of trembling and uh, dread about the day of judgment. But we all need to fear God. A Christian fears God with that kind of holy fear of hell. But he also has the fear of a heavenly father who, though he loves him and will keep him to the end if he's a believer, still hates sin and is still determined to judge it and to sanctify his people. So this should be your first and last line of defense, but just notice a few things about this. First of all, <clears throat> notice that this is what the book of Proverbs in general teaches. I just read from Proverbs 1-7, but, but notice that the, the book of Proverbs in general emphasizes the importance of the fear of God. 
It tells that at the very beginning what the reasons for all these Proverbs put together in this book are. And here at the head of the list is that people would learn the fear of the Lord. And that in all the things that it says in Proverbs about God-honoring knowledge and good spiritual knowledge and um, wisdom, because that's what the book is about, it says this in verse 7 of chapter 1, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord does refer to knowing God and having saving faith in God. But the point is that uh, it's, it's zeroing in on the fact that the fear of the Lord is a very important thing. And you don't have any wisdom at all from a biblical perspective, if you don't have the fear of God. It is the beginning of knowledge. It's the foundation of it. Secondly, though, individual Proverbs make this point about the importance of the fear of God in relation to the immoral woman and in in avoiding her, or we could say immorality. Look at chapter 5, verses 20 to 23. Chapter 5, verses 20 to 23. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. So you see the significance of the fear of the Lord here. Um, Why should you be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Verse 20, in other words, son, why go down the path of immorality? And then what's the motive he gives to the son immediately in verse 21? The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Like I said a few moments ago, part of the essence of the fear of God is realizing that there's God God is in heaven, and he is always watching everything you do. And then it goes on to verse 22. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. Well, why is that? Well, again, it's because there's a God in heaven and he's watching and he's not only watching even before the day of judgment, he is judging and he is ruling in righteousness and truth. Ask David. We can't ask him, but we can ask him by reading uh, 2 Samuel 11 and through to the end of the chapter and into 1 Kings where we see the end of David's life and the bitterness and the sorrow and the violence that characterized his life and the destruction to the kingdom of Israel that were wrought through his sin of immorality. Why did that happen? Because God is watching. That's why the iniquities of the wicked man entrap him, because God is the one who visits judgment on him. And then verse 23, he shall die for lack of instruction And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Again, that's the fear of God. There's a heaven and a hell that are real. There is a judgment day coming. 
and every one of us will stand before God in that judgment. So the individual Proverbs make this point about the importance of the fear of God and helping us to keep from this sin. Let's just look at a couple of more texts there. Uh, Chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. We have in the earlier part of that chapter, I think we looked at it last time. We definitely read portions of Proverbs 7. You have that description of um, um, Solomon talking about to his son about, uh, I saw a young man walking down the street and there was this immoral woman, an adulteress, uh, lurking around the corners and um, looking for a, man, a young man like him. And so we read in, at the end of that chapter, at the end of this account, after he says that the young man fell and gave in to her enticements. So Solomon writes at the end of that chapter, beginning at verse 24, Now therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways, the ways of the immoral woman. Do not, go, do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, And all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. You may remember a few weeks ago, I think it was uh, when Pastor Dunn was here, he was preaching about conscience and about um, the atheist. And one of his points was that at the heart of the convictions of the atheist even if he if he really knows that there is a god in heaven he believes he doesn't see it and he'll never bring us to account well if you have the fear of god you will always have in your mind that he will bring us to to account he sees everything he knows everything every one of us will come to account to give an account in the day of judgment And then let's let's just look at one other text, Proverbs 22, verse 14. Under the heading of the fear of God. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred of the Lord will fall there. You say, I don't care what people think. I mean, this is going to be enjoyable. Well, you should care what God thinks. It's the essence of the fear of God to care what God thinks. So individual Proverbs make this point about the importance of the fear of God. That's why I put it at the top of the list here. Well, well, that's why I put it. um, I didn't put it at the top of the list. It's number four. It's only at the top of the list for today's lesson. But I I mentioned how really there's a sense in which this should be the beginning and the end of your mindset and your motives to keep from this sin. Just one other point here. I put that passage there, Matthew 10, 28. Jesus echoes this in his teaching in the New Testament as well. In other words, don't say to yourself, well, this is just Moses that we're hearing about. This is just Moses. Well, listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 28 about the importance of the fear of God. Jesus said to his apostles, remember, as he's instructing them about going out and preaching the gospel, and he says to them, fear him who is able to destroy both body 
and soul in hell. That's God. And this is not just an Old Testament doctrine or grace. It is a Bible grace, the fear of God. Think of Joseph and how the fear of God operated in keeping Joseph from falling to the temptress, the wife of Potiphar in um, Genesis 39, I think it is. Remember how he said, how could I sin and do this great wickedness and sin against God? It was the fear of God that kept him from immorality there. So men, young men, when a young woman begins to attract you, and it's not because she's a godly and spiritually minded Christian woman, and your lust and your pride start saying things like this, and that's where it comes from, she's the one for me, and I know it. And you say, or at least think things like this, and no one is going to tell me otherwise. Remember that there is a God in heaven. It's difficult sometimes to remember that at a time like that in your life. But you need to remember it. And remember that God's word is your authority, not your own heart. And that advice is not only for young men, it's for young women. So we're looking at defense against the seductress. The fourth thing is fear God. The fifth is guard your heart. Guard your heart. That again is another um, thing that Christians need to do. Another discipline that we need to constantly be engaging in. That we guard our hearts from every kind of evil. Every kind of temptation. One of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer is that we pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. That's part of the guarding of the heart. So let's look at Proverbs 6 and verse 25. Proverbs 6 verse 25. Solomon's warning his son against the immoral woman. He gave a very practical piece of advice in chapter 5 and verse 8. Stay away from her house. Don't go near where she lives. Don't hang around her. You know the danger? Get away. But now he addresses the heart. He says, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. In other words, you guard your heart at all times. And your, your attitude is this. Well, there's no woman here that's, you know, coming to me like Potiphar's wife and saying, come on, lie with me. And like she did with Joseph and grabbing onto my garments like that. I mean, come on. I'm not facing that kind of temptation. And, and Solomon says in the last part of this verse, verse 25, don't even let her allure you with her eyelids. Be careful. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart. There's the fountain of this sin, is your own heart. It's not immoral women. That's not where this sin begins. It begins in the heart. So guard your heart. And notice that what we see in this verse, uh, we have the same thing that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 28. He said, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So here he says, don't let her allure you with her eyelids. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you might say, well, I just looked at her face. Well, it can start there. And don't lust after her beauty in your heart. So let's look at these uh, two sub points here under guard your heart. First, guarding your heart means maintaining inward purity Maintaining inward purity, as we just read, do not lust after her beauty in your heart. Back in chapter 7 and verse 25, we already read it earlier. <clears throat> I think we did. Chapter 7, verse 25, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. You have to guard your heart. This is where the battle is really fought. If you don't fight the battle there, you're going to lose at some point or other down the road if you haven't already. It says in Proverbs 4.23, I mean, this is, again, one of those texts that um, describes and encompasses the whole of the Christian life. Keep your heart with all diligence, or one of the older translations. Keep your heart above all that you keep. In other words, in everything you do in the world, put this at the top of the list, keep your heart. You can be in the midst of a church service, yet in your mind be in a very wicked place. You're, you could be in a, in a whorehouse in your mind. Guard your heart. And if you're constantly playing with sin in your mind, especially if you're saying, it's just in my mind, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. If you're constantly playing with sin in your mind, you are never going to be able to flee like Joseph did if a loose woman like Potiphar's wife grabs you by the shirt. Forget about it. You must work to meditate on things, First, Philippians 4, verse 8, things that are true and noble and just, and pure, and lovely, and virtuous, and praiseworthy. You say, well, pastor, I try to do that. I've been trying, it, trying to do that for years, and I still get these lustful thoughts. I've been a Christian for 50 years, roughly, and it still happens with me, so I don't say, therefore, forget about fighting. No, keep fighting. Think about those good things and confess the sinful thoughts and ask God to help. If you're Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. You have the Word of God. You have all the spiritual armor of Ephesians 6. Use it and don't grow weary of using it. One of the illustrations I gave to the young men about the use of the armor was uh, the man Shammah. I think at the end of 2 Samuel, he was one of David's mighty men. And um, you know, if it wasn't Shammah, it was one of those other three mighty men that are mentioned there. But it said he fought this battle till his hand clave to his sword. In other words, he, he had gripped the sword tightly for so long he couldn't loosen his grip. Okay, I don't think anybody's fought that long and hard against this sin yet. 
And if you say, well, I have, well, then um, Hebrews 12 says, look to Jesus who spilled his blood to deliver you from those sins. You haven't fought sin to the point of shedding your blood yet. Think biblically about this subject, not carnally. So maintain inward purity. That's guarding your heart. But another way to guard your heart is guard against the lust of the eyes. Proverbs 6.25b there, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. And it could be a lot more than just the eyelids. But the point is, uh, that if though the sin originates really in your heart, you could be tempted, but um, not feel like it's a great temptation if you're really guarding your heart and mortifying lust on a regular basis. But you still need to guard your eyes because that is a, one of the gates through which sin can enter or temptation begins. So guard against the lust of the eyes. Another good passage, it's not in the Proverbs though, would be Job 31.1 where Job said he made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon a maiden in a lustful way. So guard against the lust of the eyes. Do this when a girl or a woman is trying to get your attention and trying to get your affections. It's not your wife, but that's what she's trying to do. Guard against the lust. Don't look at her if that's what she's trying to do and you know it. Or when you're in a grocery store or when you're in, and you come to the checkout counter and you have these magazines there and you say, you know, I, this is not what I came to the store for. Well, then, you know, be on a mission and look at the person in front of you or look at the front window or whatever till you get past those things. Guard against the lust of the eyes. Do it whenever you're using your um, electronic devices. Do it if you're watching TV, um, watching movies. And, if, and think in advance, brethren. I wish I didn't have to say that, but I know I need to say that. Think in advance before you put on a movie or go to a movie. Find out what's going to be in that movie. Don't expose yourself to these things. And, and uh, guard against the lust of the eyes almost everywhere you go in the summer months. I think you know what I'm saying, given the way women dress in our day and age. All right, so that's fifth, guard your heart. Sixth, know the enemy. Know the enemy. Now, the enemy is the devil. That's the primary enemy. But it's also the world. And it's also our own hearts, ourself. Like the Puritans always said, where do our sins and temptations to sin come from? The world, the flesh, that's us, and the devil. So that's the ultimate enemy, we could say, the, the, the devil, but so is your own sin, and so is the world around us. And that's what I'm focusing on right now, people around us. Remember, our topic is the adulteress, so know the enemy. Take Proverbs 7 and read it. Read the account of the adulterous woman and the young man there, and learn from it. It's like if we're reading a passage in the Gospels and Jesus is railing against the Pharisees and don't say, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a true believer, I can't learn anything from Jesus' rebukes of the Pharisees. 
Don't think that way. Learn from them. Learn what not to be like by listening to what Jesus says about the Pharisees. So learn what the enemy is like and what the enemy is trying to do. So, you know, you read through that passage, you see, for instance, in verse 21 of Proverbs 7, she seduced him. All right, so how does she go about that? What's her MO, her modus operandi? Learn from it. Uh, verse 10 tells us she was dressed in the attire of a harlot, the clothing of a harlot. And that's a thing. All right, maybe we live in a society where it seems like almost everyone is clothed with the attire of a harlot. That doesn't mean it's not a thing anymore. Verse 11 tells us she's loud and rebellious. So you notice, you notice a woman who's loud and rebellious? Mental note. Be careful. Her feet would not stay at home. In other words, where she should have been as a wife and perhaps a mother. Instead, what is she doing in verse 12? She's lurking at every corner. She's not in the place she should be. She's at other places. She has evil intentions. It says in verse 13, she has an impudent face. In other words, she doesn't care if what she's doing is not proper and if what she's doing is not seemly. That's what impudence is. She looks down at authority. Take mental notes if you see people like this, male or female. And then it says in verse 21, with her enticing speech, she leads him astray. She tells this story about her husband is away and how enjoyable it will be if you come with me and why it's legitimate. I've purified myself. She even tries to make herself sound like she's a holy woman. All right? Take note of these things. And then verse 21 speaks about her flattering lips. That's part of her enticing speech. Wow, you're really good looking. So someone says, wow, no one ever told me that before. I mean, it doesn't take much. So learn those characteristics and avoid such women. That's what it's saying. Or, if you're a woman, avoid such men. Learn those things. Know the enemy. And then, under this heading, before we move on, um, words to women and girls as well. First one, point A there. Be aware that you can sin in this area too. Um, not just under this heading, what we, what we see in the, the adulteress. I mean, that woman was sinning. We don't have um, parallel passages in the book of Proverbs or really any other place in the Bible. My daughter, you know, you need to avoid the immoral man. Now, that's no less important but I mentioned earlier that this was a book, the book of Proverbs, especially for training young men in the court of the king. And so this is why we have King Solomon saying, my son, and uh, to his shame, he had many, 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 many sons, no doubt. And so, um, but he's warning them about immorality. 
But girls need to be warned too, obviously. Women need to be warned. Um, I remember hearing a preacher once say about Matthew 5, 27 and 28, where Jesus says, if you look on a woman lustfully, um, then you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Well, it's also true about a woman that she, if she looks on a man lustfully or another woman lustfully, she is committing immorality in her heart, adultery in her heart. That's also true. And then there's this truth that uh, this preacher stated. He said, it's also a sin against the seventh commandment to lust, to be lusted after. And we think about, if we think about sinful and provocative clothing, it is true that men are guilty of it also. But if we simply look at the world around us, the reality is it's really something that women, as a general rule, are more guilty of than men. You might say, well, that's because of the sinfulness of men's hearts. Well, that's of a, a part of the world we live in. But I'm just making the point that women are, as a rule, more guilty of this sin of provocative dress than men. And so the preacher's words, I think, will, I hope you'll take to heart, it's also sinful to lust, to be lusted after. All right, and the second thing there under this heading, point B, study. Am I already... All right, I already mentioned it, know the enemy, but now I'm going to mention for you women especially, I was saying it for men especially in verse 7, knowing how to guard against that woman, but now for women especially, study the woman in Proverbs 7. And if you see any of the kind of behavior in yourself or a tendency thereto, um, get rid of it. Get rid of that kind of behavior even if you say, well, you know, I think, the more I think about it, I, I think I, I probably act that way, even though you've never really thought it through and you're not, you say, I'm not really doing it for a purpose. It can still happen. So study that woman, get rid of that. And again, I'll focus on this issue of immodest clothing. Clothing that is too low or too high, if it's a skirt or a pair of shorts, or too tight, wherever it is. Remember, as I said about Proverbs 7, verse 10, a woman with the attire of a harlot, there is such a thing. And realize that men have a penchant. That's the best word I could think of. So it may be a, maybe not a $5 word, but maybe a $3 word. It means a definite liking for those kinds of things a strong inclination to those kinds of things. And probably everybody here, even if you're not a man, understand what it is to have a definite liking for something that's not good for you. Maybe it's a piece of chocolate cake with vanilla ice cream and um, hot fudge and pecans. Oh, I'm being too autobiographical here, but... But this, you understand what I'm saying. Men have a penchant 
an inclination toward those kinds of things. They want to look at them. It's part of our sin nature. And in Christian men, it is part of remaining sin. You might say, I never would have dreamed that. That's the truth. I remember hearing a pastor one time say, well, and he's talking about this point here about immodest clothing and so on. And he said, well, many, many girls don't know the language of what clothing can do and what it says. But he said, boys do. And side note here, but not really an aside. Dads, if your daughters don't know, you know. Make sure they are taught by you and their mother. But I do believe that many more young women know these things than admit it. I've had a group of young women in my own home, so I've observed these kinds of things over the years. Um, but at the same time, I do believe that many women, young and old, are to some degree ignorant. That doesn't mean innocent, but I'm saying ignorant and need to be taught. So give them the benefit of the doubt. And then when you teach them, watch what happens. And then you'll know whether it's innocent behavior or not that follows. But I do know two things. In this present time in our society, women in general have become far more immoral, evil, debauched, shameless and lewd than they were 40, 50, 60 years ago. And I can say that because I was a, a sentient human being a, new, a being, a human being with intelligence and awareness that long ago. So it's not just something I've read about in books or heard from my dad. I remember reading in recent years stats, statistics about pornography viewing. And are men's numbers about that way higher than women's? Or at least definitively higher than women? Yes. The gap has closed a lot in the recent decades. That being true, though, still there is a difference between men and women in this area. And I, I believe that is a main reason that the Bible's teaching on this subject is primarily addressed to men. But as I said already at the beginning and last time I taught, it all applies both to men and women. Seventh commandment does not address men any more than it addresses women. So anyway, let me get back to this point of the difference between men and women and so on. I remember a survey of college students that I read about within the last few years. I either heard about it or read about it. And it was a survey of college students and it was separated men and women. All right. So the girls thought that the boys, as a general rule, who, were, who, who showed an interest in them, were interested in them as persons. That was kind of the general thing about the women. And that they were interested in establishing friendships with them. 
you know, just kind of hanging out, talking about their classes and stuff like that. The men, young men, probably an anonymous survey, were, were very honest. They were not interested in those things. They were interested primarily in physical relationships. Okay, that's the world we live in. Now, true Christian young men in college are outliers in a survey like that. Or they're not Christian young men. Yet even they, true Christian young men, have to contend with lust. And they are vulnerable to those kinds of sins. And they are constantly, as a rule, tempted to them. All right, and then the third thing here, um, young women again, study your own heart in light of the things I've been saying here. Study your own heart. It may not even require much study if the things are evident to you, but ask yourself questions like this. Do you like it that you know that you are attractive to men as a general rule? God has blessed you with beauty, we could say. Do you like to show off what God has given you? Do you like to show off your body? Do you dress in order to show yourself off on purpose? Do you walk and talk and act and stand or sit in order to, the, to draw the attention of boys or of men? If that's what is generally the way you think and are and act... There's only one way to describe that kind of mind biblically, and that is the mind of an immoral woman. So if you have to answer yes to those kinds of questions, you have a lot of business to do with God. You have a lot of confessing and repenting and changing to do in your life. Are you a Christian? You say, well, I'm a Christian. All right. But like I said, I'm a Christian. But I have to take all that the Proverbs say about this very, very seriously because those sins are very, very serious. And I don't want to get caught in them. Not just because it would ruin my career at a late stage in my life, but because I believe that her way is the door to hell. So if you see this kind of thinking in your own heart, cry out to God for mercy to forgive you and to help you to change. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2 says this, Paul's saying this to the Corinthian Christians, I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's the husband, Christ. And so a chaste virgin, virgin means a person with inward spiritual purity. Don't, whether you're a man or a woman, don't be a harlot to Christ, not outwardly and not inwardly. Remember what John wrote in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, this is a sin that if you have to daily and even many times a day go to the cross of Christ for cleansing from, then go. 
as often as you need. If you see sin within you, you need cleansing. And Christ's blood and Christ's blood alone does cleanse from even such uncleanness as the Bible calls it. And then the seventh and final thing is know yourself. Know yourself. I just said study yourself. So know yourself, a repetition of that point. But what I mean here is this. Know yourself, know your own weaknesses in whatever um, given area. Read a passage like Proverbs 7. Read what happens to the young man, verse 22 and following, how he ends up getting ensnared. He's, his mind is beclouded. He's overcome with a temptation. So it says immediately he went after her. And it was like an ox going to the slaughter and then read the conclusion that Solomon draws there and say to yourself, it could happen to me if I am careless. Could happen to me. If you're not careful, if you're not abiding in Christ, remember Jesus' words, John 15, 4 and 5, abide in me and I in you, because apart from me you can do nothing. And say, again, not like Peter, Lord, I would never deny you. Lord, I would never, ever commit adultery. Come on, me? Well, that's the first step in that direction, if that's your thinking. The bottom line is this, that we need Christ. The one main hope we have, I'm not saying there have never been unbelievers who have not committed adultery. I'm not saying that, but the one hope we have is salvation through the blood of Christ. It's being joined to Christ in a saving way. It's loving Christ. And let me just take one other passage, therefore, from the New Testament. I have about a minute left at least. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, two texts there. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18, first of all. And remember that the context here is Paul is talking about the fact that the believer is joined to Christ by faith. And he says, we're joined to him, not just in our souls, but in our bodies. Our bodies are members of Christ, he says earlier in the chapter. So he says in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. I've preached on this before. I'm just going to state the point here. What that's saying is that the sin of uncleanness or sexual immorality is a sin that has a peculiar power, we could say, to separate a person from Christ. I'm not saying it's an Arminian text. I'm saying your profession as a Christian is my body is a member of Christ. So Paul says, yeah? Then look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. And then he makes the point in verse 18 that this sin has a peculiar power to separate people from Christ. Not they can be saved one day and unsaved the next. I'm simply saying, know the power of sin and this sin in particular. And go to Christ, flee to Christ, uh, cultivate your relationship with Christ, and abide in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and ask that you would take these things 
and write them on all of our hearts. It's not pleasant for us to dwell on these things, but the Scripture compels us. And so help us, by the power of your Spirit, to know ourselves and our sins and to put them to death by the power of the blood and the Spirit of Jesus Christ through your Word. And we plead with you that you would be merciful to us in these areas and keep us that we might be chaste virgins who will one day be presented to our Savior, our Head, our Master, our Lord, and our Husband, Jesus Christ. Amen.